1: this is chicago's morning answer with dan proft and amy jacobson on am 560 the answer
0: top of the morning dan and amy this uh endorsement if you will has been making the round so figured we ought to tackle it mark fisher is a co-founder of Black Lives Matter in Rhode Island and uh, he was interviewed by Lawrence Jones on Fox and Friends the other day uh, explaining from his perspective why black men are flipping in the direction of Trump, not necessarily the GOP overall but uh, for Trump specifically.
2: I think personally it's the duplicity of the Democrats. Mm. The hypocrisy. Um, we're not stupid. The brothers are not stupid. We we understand when someone's for us and when someone is not. And it's obvious that the Democratic Party is not for us. Yeah, I, I their keep... Party, their, their policies actually strike at the heart of the black family and the nuclear family.
0: Hmm. That would be more convincing if he wasn't the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, whose platform includes the destruction of the nuclear family. Right.
3: 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line. You can also reach us all morning long on that wonderful text line, 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment.
0: And um, he should have been challenged on that by Lawrence Jones, but he wasn't. This is, I mean, and, and, this is why I struggle to get excited as some in conservative circles are when a, an endorsement like this pops up from, you know, an unexpected place. That's nice, and maybe Mark Fisher is starting to get hep to the reality that he just described. But I'm not so sure that it is occurring at a scale large enough to matter electorally. Uh, Fisher, well,
3: was, I, Oh, I'm sorry. What would you know the percentage of black Americans that voted for Trump in 2020? Eight. Eight. Okay. what if we got that up to 10 or 15 or 20? Is that even possible?
0: I mean, anything's possible, but um, there is actually um, another uh, silver lining that is unrelated to this, which I'll get to. But um, yeah, well, of course it would matter. I mean, it depends where those votes come from. But uh, black Americans are heavily concentrated in urban centers and. There's obviously some urban centers in swing states like Charlotte, North Carolina, like Atlanta, Georgia, uh like Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that uh, it could matter, sure. Pittsburgh, if,
3: Pennsylvania.
0: I mean, I'm I'm you know, i I've been beating this drum for as long as I've been in politics to try to red rover, red rover non traditional Republicans over. So it's not a lack of desire uh or uh a lack of being welcoming to borrow a word it's um a lack of being able to persuade it seems to me it's it's not dissimilar to the conversation we had with alan dershowitz at the end of the show yesterday um i mean hey, agreeing with us on all the failures of the biden administration right. with respect to israel and in general supporting biden the extra constitutional gambits of this administration and the democrat party uh Generally, a chapter and verse on Jamie Raskin, who he doesn't like, and this per, this Democrat and that Democrat, obviously, the social, the Spice Girls. And, uh, yeah, right now I'm with Biden. I mean, I, OK.
3: no sense. I know.
0: And, you know, Dershowitz is a pretty sharp guy. So it just it, it, it tells you how strong the gravitational attraction is built up over probably generations for most people. But, uh, again, this is also... You know, and the other thing we have to recognize, it's not an epiphany. It's, you know, what what will happen for most people if they decide to move is they move incrementally. They move to I'm not a Democrat anymore, but I'm not a Republican either. And then maybe some will move Republican or they'll move back and forth, depending on the candidate, which is still an incremental move. But not it's not like they're you know, straight ticket Republican voters overnight. That just doesn't really happen.
3: I got to tell you, though, the black community, I mean, especially in Chicago, so upset about immigration. If Trump, which he is strong on immigration, strong on saying he's going to close the border, I don't think Joe Biden's going to get 92 percent of the black vote this time around.
0: Well, again, uh, it's possible. and, And a lot of this is the binary that people are gazing at at present, which is Biden versus Trump. And that's what Fisher said. It's not necessarily the GOP, it's specifically Trump. Here's why.
4: Yeah. So, you know, you were part of Black Lives Matter. Uh, you founded it there. And now you're saying you're, you're not saying the entire Republican Party. You're saying Donald Trump. So what is it about Donald Trump? Is it the economics? Uh, you noted the black family. What is it going to take for him to sure up this support amongst uh, black voters?
2: Well, I just think that it's going to take information. A lot of people are misinformed. They don't really understand because they don't educate themselves on on Donald Trump as a person and his history. Um, But if they do that, and it's going to take, you know, leaders, educated leaders getting the word out there. um, I think that it'll happen on its own. And it'll be organic because, um, personally, I love the man. I mean, how could you not like a real man? How could you not relate to someone like that?
0: Hmm. little gooey there but (laughs) but i mean it well it's just it's just i mean basically it's just like you know i like the cut of his jib he's a man's man and that's how i am and that's what i like
3: a a dude i want to hang with sounds like you know yeah or
0: or emulate in some ways um but um again uh old habits die hard no 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 i'm still
2: affiliated with it um all day, it, because the thing about it is, I'm my message that I preach and, and, and that I tout is unity. It's a message of unity. It's unity driven. I want to bring together all the marginalized groups from the, the margins and bring them to the center because we're stronger together as a as a one nation under uh, indivisible under God.
0: I mean, again, that's a nice sentiment, but Black Lives Matter as a leverage to bring about unity. He, you know. There's some things I think uh, Mark Fisher still needs to wrestle with a bit. Text Ye-
3: message, Dan and Amy, there's no such thing as crossover black voters. The rhetoric may change. Voting patterns never do. I've been waiting for it since the 80s. There's no distinction between black liberals and conservatives.
0: Well, um, well, first of all, just to finish the thought, um, identitarianism is the antithesis of unity, and there's no path from identitarianism to unity, and Black Lives Matter is fundamentally an identitarian and Marxist organization. So, uh, you know, this is the struggle to get too excited about what Mark Fisher is saying and about how many people he represents uh, in his attitude about Trump. Number one. Number two, um, that's not true. Uh, It never changes because it has changed. Yeah. It changed. We
3: know people who were black liberals who are now conservatives.
0: Well, I'm talking about the other way. The seismic shift happened when um, most black Americans identified uh, as center right and certainly were aligned with Republican Party policies. And that shifted. I mean, this, this really dates back to the Southern strategy, the so-called Southern strategy and the, the marketing that Democrats did uh, to paint Republicans as racist, even though, of course, as we all know, A majority of Republicans supported the Civil Rights Act of 1964, more Republicans than Democrats, and so on and so forth. So we know all these things, but um, over the last 50 years, there has been a shift, significant shift, in the black vote so that it's so locked in at the 90-percent-plus level for Democrats, and it's because of the uh, effective smear campaign that the left has run against the right. Roy and Glenn Allen, you're in Chicago's Morning Answer.
5: Yeah, good morning.
6: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It does not move the needle at all. Republicans, the base, they
5: fall for it thinking that it does.
6: And I agree with you on on Victor Davis Hanson.
5: That, you know, he's falling for it too. It's just not going to happen. You look at the mayor yesterday or the other day saying all those words, and that's racist and that's crazy. So we're going to fall for it again, and nothing's going to happen.
0: Thanks for the call, Roy. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there is something to that. Um, Brandon Johnson, BLM Brandon, speaking of BLM, uh, feels quite comfortable saying that uh, Republicans, uh, effectively is what he was saying, Republicans are still angry that a black man is free. Right. So there, and they he quoted must,
3: Beyonce. Beyonce.
0: So, yeah, the Beyonce quote is not the important point. He's comfortable saying a black, the Republicans are still angry. A black man is free. So there has to be an audience for that, right? Pete, northwest side.
5: Hi, Dan and Amy, thanks for taking my call. Go ahead. Um, Yeah, the listening to Alan Dershowitz uh, the other day, it it was mind-blowing listening in, listening to him describe uh, how he couldn't possibly vote for trump after everything but i think it speaks to a larger uh almost like contagion with like the jewish vote the black vote uh even as the left is being exposed as like supporting the palestinians supporting hamas but they still can't turn that corner and vote for people who are who have their back it's uh it's astonishing you know
0: it is it is something to behold it is. I mean, not just not just uh, watching them support uh, and and play apologists for Hamas after the worst massacre of uh, Jews since the Holocaust, but watching them chase students at Cooper Union, Jewish students, watching them chase a Jewish teacher at a high school in Queens. I mean, it's still, it's still no, no. But Donald Trump is mean. Okay. Who cares about tweets and all that anymore?
3: I don't care. Life Gre- was much better when he was in charge, that's for sure.
0: Greg Hyde uh, Park.
6: Good morning, good people. I would like to share with you as a black man uh, in my seventh decade of life that I can speak with abject certainty that race is the religion of the black man. He seeks is
5: freedom from the secular and the liberal. Good luck breaking that
0: chain. All right. Thanks for the call, Greg. Wow. Appreciate it. This is Chicago's Morning Answer.
2: Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys.
1: On AM 560, The Answer. guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM 560 The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, I want to get to what's happening in uh, Ireland. Another uh, case study in the left disintegrating civilization. And it really, I mean, since there's such an Irish connection to Chicago, um, and since it's uh, all honkies doing it in Ireland, um, just an interesting comparison contrast because it's not about race. It's about ideology. It's about policy, as we're always want to say. But before that, just a one um, postscript on our discussion about uh, um, black voters and you know again the prospect that uh, Republicans can make gains among black Americans. Uh, this is one uh, data point that is a bit encouraging. Gun ownership. Gun ownership at an all-time high. More than half of Americans say they or someone in their house owns a gun. Uh, NBC's been polling this for the last 25 years, highest level since it began. Share voters of the firemen in the household, 52%. That's up six percentage points uh, from pre-COVID. Um. 66% of Republicans, 45% of Independents, 41% of Democrats, gun households. Also this, over the last three years. 2019, 24% of black voters were in gun households. Today, 41%. Wow. So that's a big move. And, um, you know, the um, people taking surveys like this and... um, you know, disclosing that they're a gun household. More likely than not, the law-abiding variety of gun owner. So, you know, that, that it, it's, it is very interesting. Um, it's interesting, of course, what's happened over the last three years to major urban centers. Now, again, the response in Chicago was to double down. The response a couple times has been to double down on terrible public policies that are making Chicago less safe. And less prosperous, we did it with reelecting Kim Fox, we did it with the election of Brandon Johnson. So that's one response, but I just say that that kind of move among gun owners and gun ownership, hmm. you know, usually if you're uh, right, if you're conservative and correct on the gun issue and the life issue, pretty much everything else falls in line. It uh, indicates um, a healthy understanding of reality, like a healthy dose of common sense, like I need to be able to provide for my own protection and my family's protection. And it also usually indicates a certain sophistication in understanding the uh, rules and rights required for a society to be free, like the right to protect yourself. Uh, like the um, Second Amendment delineates an understanding of that. It's also uh, something, too, this is why, you know, despite all the bloviations from Governor Spaulding and his pointless uh, ban of certain sport rifles, it's not really that popular anymore. It's not this go-to issue, the, the way for the left to say the way that uh, abortion is. I saw it when we did surveys during the governor's race in uh, 2022, last year, almost a year ago, well, more than a year ago now. Um, and you'd be surprised. I was actually a little surprised, particularly Illinois. All the talk about guns and, you know, the, the scaremongering that the left does around guns. You know, like an assault weapon ban was basically like dead heat support and, and oppose support uh or oppose basically even Stephen in the general election in illinois so that should tell you something it doesn't really have the currency that it used to have which is why you don't see it advanced in very many places and which is why you should properly understand it as only serving the base you know the hard left base where where the uh, center of gravity is in the democrat party that's that's why pritzker did it this was with an eye towards big things it wasn't really with the eye that an eye towards oh this is going to really uh you know expand uh the support that i receive from independence and so forth right well he did a
3: reaction to the highland park shooting
0: yeah i, I understand the do something yeah. but i mean but because but it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't expand the circle It has no lasting impact. It's an even Stephen proposition. Even here is my point.
3: Okay. And before we go to Ireland, we got a text message I want to read uh, from a black former Democrat turned conservative. Dan and Amy, what Johnson did is what works with black people. Black people are emotion driven, not fact driven. I disagree with that. So is everybody. Emotions, Emotions work. Yeah, emotions work. And the Democrats are excellent at using that tactic to continue to get black people to fall in line and stay in line. It's sad and pathetic. And, of course, she was talking about this portion of Johnson's speech the other day or r- response to a question.
7: They're still mad that a black man is free in this country. This is nothing new. But aren't you glad that the soul of Chicago won't be broken? And those are the words of, uh, I think, Beyonce. You won't break our soul.
0: Um, yeah. So, um, so that, that the problem is sentimentality has become uh, embedded in the culture. It's not just for black voters. I mean, being emotional. Yeah, that's true. And they 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 buy a lot of people buy that racehouse, so a lot of honkies do too. There were a lot of honkies on stage with BLM Brandon nodding their heads right along mm-hmm. because they're they're, you know well, useful idiots just like he is. So it's it's a it's a cultural problem that people are moved by the demagoguery of hacks like Brandon Johnson. Uh, what was which ha- quote
3: yesterday, what, when you politicize common sense, you get stupid.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, well, that takes us to, um, more stupidity on display. Ireland. Good Lord.
3: Oh my God.
0: Good Lord. Um, this is, um, just a couple of examples of what's going on over there since that, uh, mass stabbing attack and then the rioting and looting that ensued this is irish uh, the ireland uh, social minister who's being queried by a reporter about the attacker let's remember him most of the irish pauls i mean it's completely dominated by the left as we talked about with john waters earlier in the week Um, but They've you know run past the uh, details about the attack that uh, sparked all of this uh, mostly bad behavior, I would say. Some of it was protesting and peaceful, and that's fine. But obviously we saw a lot of violence and looting, and there's no excuse for that. But there are some details about this attacker that are starting to come out, much to the chagrin of the Irish political class. And uh, just this exchange is really instructive
8: Minister, John Mooney reported in the Times yesterday that the person of interest in last week's Parnell Square stabbing was the subject of at least one deportation order since coming to Ireland. And the Sunday Independent reported that he had been in the country for 23 years and has never worked while in the state. So to echo a question posed by Ashling Murphy's boyfriend uh, in his victim impact statement, how does someone come to live here for over 20 years and never be expected to work? Could you answer that as the Social Protection Minister?
9: Yeah, well, of course, uh, just to be clear here, we don't want to conflate issues. This was about uh, a terrible and an awful stabbing that took place. Three little children. It really would, it would break your heart and uh, what happened there. So I I don't, I can't speak about specific individuals and what their entitlements are. Uh, All I do know is that he was an Irish citizen uh, and when you're an Irish citizen you're entitled to all the benefits uh, that all of us uh, receive when we need them uh, and uh, As I said, uh, there's obviously going to be uh, criminal uh, investigations and criminal proceedings, and I really wouldn't want to say anything that would impact on any of that.
8: Sure, I wouldn't ask you about the specifics of the case, but this individual, uh, assuming these reports are accurate, would have been long-term unemployed before he received citizenship, and we know that these kinds of instances happen. So in a general sense, what I'm asking is, do you think it's right that somebody could come to Ireland and live here for... Decades potentially unemployed and and, uh, receiving social welfare. Is that really an appropriate situation in your view?
9: Well, whether the perpetrator of that awful act receives social welfare or not is not the issue here. But what I would say to you is that anybody that's on social welfare, and we have the lowest figures ever in terms of unemployment, they are subject to all the job activation measures uh, to try and get them into employment. And if they don't engage in those, uh, we do take action. And uh, I will continue but, to make sure I, that we take I,
8: action. I think that might be kind of a separate issue to what I'm asking you, though, Minister. Again, what I'm asking is, do you think it's appropriate that somebody could come from abroad and avail of social welfare, avail of these kinds of... Things that are on offer while never working for years and years and years at a time—is that—is no. that, is that a, a, well, an acceptable situation that we, we should be standing over? But
9: well, I think I think you have to remember here that when somebody comes to Ireland, there's a process that they go through, and it takes a number of years. Some people say uh, that uh, we should be processing them more quickly, and we're trying to do that.
3: turnkey.pro answer line. You could reach us on the text line, 64636, type in DA. Then a quick comment. I think this is the reason why people hate politicians.
0: Well, I mean, this is a a question that could be asked here. Yeah. And so that's why it's so relevant. And you're going to get the same answer from the same sort of politicians. I mean, that's the kind of answer that you get about border security from, like, Ali Mayorkas. So we're certainly familiar with that kind of answer. I'm asking you a specific question. Is this is it appropriate? Should we have a system that would allow something like this? Somebody comes here, um, maybe he came here illegal, uh, illegally, maybe he came legally, that's not clear to me, but regardless, he came from abroad, as the reporter said, and he's never worked since he's been there.
3: For 23 years, he's been sucking off the government.
0: So the issue was getting welfare state benefits before he was a citizen and then continuing them as a citizen. then she tells you about here's the process we have and here's what we try to do with the unemployed. And there are these uh, accountability measures in place to remove benefits if you don't follow the rules of the benefit programs. But that's all ridiculous because the bottom line is it's a system that allows somebody to come from abroad and live on the dole for 23 years. That's Ireland. He ones.
3: commits a violent crime and against children. And the thing are, that and,
0: and the thing that Irish politicians were most concerned about. Is social, from, media. <laughs> yeah, is social media. Yeah, social media. And why Twitter didn't go along with the other social media companies in colluding with the the Irish government to censor information and videos of what was happening according to what the government wanted. You know, they need to get some cutouts like the, uh, the deep state has here.
10: I spoke to a detective uh, in Pier Street on Saturday who was actively engaged with the social media companies throughout Thursday, who was actively engaged with TikTok, actively engaged with Meta, so Instagram and Facebook, who was actively engaged with Twitter or X. She said very clearly that social media companies, in particular TikTok and Meta, they were responding, they were engaging with Guardi, and they were taking down these vile posts as they came up. X were not. X were not. They didn't engage. They did not fulfil their own community standards. And that is why we are moving to a situation where these companies do not get to self-monitor. That's Please, why Commission Man you. has been established, to make sure that these companies are held responsible, because while some were responsible, others were not. So let me reassure you, Guardi were seized of this. They were engaging. They were engaging directly with the social media companies.
0: So that's the focus is on uh, coming down on the social media companies to collude with the government and uh, make sure that X doesn't uh, – X is not allowed – Twitter's not allowed to exist as an outlier to that. It's not the only uh, example of where the Irish are going. There's uh, another legislator – Named Pauline O'Reilly who wants to establish the comfort standard when it comes to free speech take a listen
8: when you think about it all law all legislation is about the restriction of freedom that's exactly what we're doing here is we are restricting freedom but we're doing it for the common good you will see throughout our Constitution yes you have rights but they are restricted for the common good everything needs to be balanced And if your views on other people's identities go to make their lives unsafe, insecure, and cause them such deep discomfort that they cannot live in peace, then I believe that it is our job as legislators to restrict those freedoms for the common good.
0: Um, Free speech that uh, makes anybody uncomfortable needs to be restricted. Punished is what you're saying the discomfort standard how long does that society remain free with politicians like that proposing measures like she just described i mean this is this is a, a country that's been taken over by the leftist death cult and they spend all their time in session decrying themselves you know, the self-flagellation of the left, the performative self-flagellation. Listen to these. I mean, this is this is a dozen different Irish elected officials.
11: While it's true that the Irish have known uh, a fair share of, of oppression, the reality is uh, during that oppression, we still maintained our, our invisibility cloak of white privilege. And we often hear about white privilege and
10: It hadn't really occurred to me that I had white privilege as well. But now, listening to you, I understand that I do have a privilege. I think we shouldn't forget that our parliament still looks very male, very stale and pale. Of course you can say that you're a middle class white man. So you view the law completely different to
9: somebody who is a traveller, to somebody who is uneducated, to somebody who's maybe a member of the Roma community. So it is very, very different. You know that the
10: law doesn't treat you the same. It doesn't treat you the same. You, as a white privileged man, how does my debt impact your life? I think it's worth putting on the record of of this house... um, that that concept of of white privilege and and how that can be uh, normatised in our own lives. And, you know, we, we, as as we develop as a society in a more racially integrated society, I think need to become more and more conscious of that uh, within our own politics and and the advantage that that has brought, the corollary being that your whiteness is itself an advantage, and to really understand that.
12: I often observe young people as they walk together. One of their party or two of their party will be uh, uh, from you know, their, their background may be from a different country and they are, you know, celebrating that and they are engaged in that, much more so in the very dull, white, pasty Ireland that I grew up in. I think what <laughs> we need to do in our own political system is to call out the hypocrisy of standing in a parliament like this full of white people and saying As racism is something that other people do because it's what politicians here in Ireland do. Because the Ireland that I grew up in was made for people just like me. It was made for white, middle-class, able-bodied, heterosexual uh, men. It was made for us. We've always run this place. We see ourselves everywhere. And if you walk around the walls of, uh, or or the halls of of this esteemed uh, uh, building, you generally see people who just look just like me. There is obviously a a fairly obvious deficiency in what we're doing. We're basically a room full of white men talking about racism.
0: Uh, The only way to distinguish that from the Illinois General Assembly is the Irish Brogue or the Chicago City Council. It's the same thing. Absolutely the same thing. And it shows you uh, in (laughs) no uncertain terms, tells you in no uncertain terms, what we're up against in the West, throughout the West, not just Chicago, not just Illinois, not just America. Real quick, this text message.
1: Yeah,
0: I I, I hear you long, Shanks.
3: Um, I was told years ago, Dan and Amy, that the alpha males moved to America years ago to chase their fortune. Soft liberals were left to run the country. There's something, all right.
1: This is Chicago's morning answer.
2: Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys.
1: An AM 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM five sixty. The Answer.
0: Stop the the cavity with garlic. Do that. Are we? Are we getting hacked? Dan and Amy. Anyway, um, so Elon Musk sat down with the noxious Aaron Ross Sorkin at the New York Times Deal Book Summit. Talk about uh, lots of things, but um, he was particularly animated when it came to Twitter or X and the uh, advertising boycott that is going on, instigated by Media Matters, which is a leftist organization that targets conservatives or proponents of free speech I don't know that I'd call Elon Musk a conservative actually but he is a proponent of free speech and um, this is what uh, generated all the misleading ink about Elon Musk being an anti-Semite because there was some advertising uh, that was adjacent to uh, anti-Semitic tweets on Twitter but what really happened we know is that Media Matters game the platform to gin up this accusation that Musk is suborning anti-Semitism and he himself is an anti-Semite
3: and then he went to Israel to visit some of the hostages family members
0: Schellen- Ma- Michael Schellenberger uh, was on with the Jesse Waters the other day Uh, explaining exactly what Media Matters did and how uh, the D.C. press court is aiding and abetting this fraud that they committed, a fraud that is now going to be litigated because Elon Musk telegraphed and then executed the filing of a civil complaint against Media Matters.
13: I mean, it sounds shocking. It sounds like if you're on X, formerly known as Twitter, that you are being served up neo-nazi content and that um, it's all being tied together with these big brands. Well, as you pointed out, this is they created fake accounts to follow neo-nazis, and then they say that they got those ads served. Well, we did the same thing, as any journalist should have done as soon as they heard about this. We created fake accounts. We followed the exact same pro-nazi accounts that Media Matters names, and we couldn't get any ads. We refreshed <laughs> constantly. We went into the actual content itself. We then, went and followed three times more pro-Nazi accounts, same thing. We couldn't get any ads served up to us. So first of all, we were not able to replicate Media Matters. We asked Media Matters to respond, to explain how they gamed the system to be shown the ads after having already followed uh, pro-Nazi content. We didn't hear back from them. I think that tells you that what's going on here, uh, there's more more than meets the eye, I would say. Yeah, what's going on here is fraud, as he
0: went on to say.
13: Well, you know, I'm a huge First Amendment advocate. Obviously, I want free speech. People even have the right to lie. But you can't commit fraud. That's one of the restrictions on free speech. You can't do what Media Matters appears to be doing here, which is to manipulate in a situation to lie about what's actually going on with the business in order specifically to hurt that business. They created the story they wanted to sell here, which is that somehow there's a lot of anti-Semitism on X, that somehow the brands are being associated with that anti-Semitism. They had that in mind before they did their research. So this, was, this is clearly a case where they're using fraudulent methods to lie, to manipulate the platform, to lie to, to businesses on business questions that starts to look like fraud. That's a very serious charge. Mike it could be very expensive Mike, and dangerous for media matters. It's what
0: they're trying to put Trump out for. Well, and hopefully uh, it will bankrupt Media Matters. We'll see. Anyway, so that's the backdrop of the conversation that Musk had at this New York Times deal, and he was asked about those companies that left Twitter over this uh, ginned up controversy by media matters and then there's something else too where uh, musk was referring to AD, the uh, anti-defamation league the adl and he you know said something about jewish communities it was too broad a description when he was really talking about the adl which is another left-wing hack organization and jonathan greenblatt is an embarrassment and it's not anti-semitic to say it he's a political hack Uh, But Musk was imprecise with his words, and so this is, again, part of this uh, ginned-up, phony baloney case that the left is trying to uh, lay on Elon Musk to slime him as an anti-Semite. So on the company's boycotting, uh, Musk is uh, taking a bit more of a pugilistic position than he has previously, at least he did in this interview.
14: And, And you're clarifying this now. Um, But there's a public perception that that was part of a apology tour, if you will. That this had been said online. There was all of the criticism. There was advertisers leaving. We talked to Bob Iger today. I hope they stop. You hope? Uh, Don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean?
12: If if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go f*** yourself. But... Go f- yourself. <laughs> is that clear? Uh, I hope it is. Pretty clear. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience. Well, well let me ask you then.
14: That's how I feel. Don't about, advertise. How do you think then about the economics of, of X? If, 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 if part of the underlying model, at least today, and maybe it needs to shift, maybe the answer is it needs to shift away from advertising. Um. If, if you believe that this is the one part of your business where you will be beholden to those who uh, have this view, what G- do you do? F.Y. I, I understand that, but there's a reality, too. <laughs> right? Yes. No. No. I, I, I mean, Linda no, Yacarino's right here, and she's got to sell I, 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 advertising.
12: Absolutely. So, um, no. No. Totally, totally. So. So. No. No. Actually, what what this advertising boycott is uh, is is going to do is it's, it's going to kill the company. And you think that the company- I, I, but, and the whole world will know that those advertisers killed the company, and we will document it in great detail.
14: But there, are, those advertisers, I imagine, are going to say. They're going to say, we didn't kill the company. Oh, yeah. They're going to say... Tell it to, tell it to Earth. But they're going to, say that, they're going to say, Elon, that you killed the company because you said these things and that they were inappropriate things and that they didn't feel comfortable on the platform, right? Let's, that's that's and, what and they're going to say. And let's see how Earth responds to that. Like, okay, this, then this goes back
12: to... We'll, the, ma- we'll both make our cases. Right. And we'll see what the outcome is.
0: 312-642-5600, pro answer line, 646 turnkey da pro text line. What do you think about Elon Musk's GFY posture with respect to this advertising boycott ginned up by the left? And again, I mean, you shouldn't be surprised. You're talking about corporate America, so it's dominated by the left. And frankly, um, some of those companies are in a bit of trouble, though. But they've got a long way to fall. I mean, like Disney – Disney keeps uh, having one box office uh, bomb after another. So there's definitely and, – and attendance is down at the parks and so on and so forth. So they're definitely suffering for some of the choices they've made. But um, as I said, they've got a long way to go. Now, Twitter could have a long way to fall too given Musk's resources. He could prop up the company personally. Right. But it's not clear that he'll want to do that at a certain point.
3: Well, he's angry. I mean, I've never seen him this angry and he doesn't care. He's not doing business with the devil. He's not doing business with Disney. And, and you know, I love what he said. He's you know, I mean he made himself very clear because he said it three times. They can go blank themselves.
0: Vince in Geneva, you're on Chicago's morning answer.
15: Hey guys. Uh yeah, I I saw before I got a
3: pretty big following on Twitter and um
15: actually about six months ago, I started getting ad revenue based on the impressions I have per month. Um, get about, I get about 30 million impressions a month. I was getting about $7, No, so it was just nice extra money. Last month, all, you know, I had like 50 million impressions. I got like 300 bucks. So it went down by over 50%. And I feel the exact same way as my month does. I don't care. I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it for free speech. And if it, I, I, if it's I get zero, I have to pay $700. I will. And I actually doubled, I pay $8 and now there's a way you can, Sign up for premium, so I signed up for that, so now I'm paying $16 a month. I mean, I'll pay $100 a month to Eli
0: if it means free speech, and that's how I feel. It's
15: all about you know trying to shut down X before the 2024 election. That's what this is all about.
0: Thanks for the call, Vince. Uh, the one outlier on the social media platforms. I mean, Facebook is to to a lesser extent, but um, you know, we, we know from the Twitter files. Uh, how in bad uh, all the social media platforms were, and that's, of course, in the Jack Dorsey era, not the Elon Musk era, uh, including Facebook. So, I mean, there, there is that piece of it, too. Musk uh, also had something to say about, uh, well, the people that uh, run around championing themselves as do-gooders and they're anything but talking about one of his other companies. Tesla to illustrate his point, and uh, again a little potty mouth, still angry. Platform, and
14: I want—I I just wonder and ask you and think about that for a Tell second. Tell it to the judge. But the, but the judge is going to be the uh, judge uh, is the public, and you think that the public is going to say that that Disney is making a mistake? Yes. And they're going to boycott Disney. They already are. Well, there, there are some that are for, for, for lots of different reasons, but you think that this is going to, that you have the, this goes to actually the interesting of, of, how, of, of power think, and leverage. Let the chips fall where they may. Let the
12: chips fall where they may.
14: Can I ask what, why that is the approach? And I, I ask it because you've been what very... What's approach? Well, you've been very particular about, the, I mean, the approach to Tesla, uh, when you think about the engineering involved in that, the approach to SpaceX, the approach to... Um, some of the stuff you're doing with, with AI has been very specific, right? There's not a let, let the chips fall where they may approach to those businesses, I don't think. No, we focus on making the best products. And, and, and Tesla's
12: gotten to where it's gotten with no advertising at all. I understand that. Tesla currently sells uh, two, twice as much uh, in terms of electric vehicles as the rest of uh, electric car makers in, in the United States combined. Tesla has done more to help the environment than uh, all other companies combined. Uh, it would be fair to say that, therefore, as a leader of the company, I've done more for the environment than everyone else, any single human on Earth. How do you feel about that?
14: No, no, I, no, how do personally. I feel about that? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm asking you personally how you feel about that, because this goes. We we're talking about power and influence. and, and I'm saying, I'm saying what, I, what I care about is the, the reality of goodness, not the perception of it. And what I see
12: all over the place is people who care about looking good while doing evil.
0: them. Okay? Okay. Uh, I don't know if I'll stipulate to he's done more for the environment than any person on the planet and that uh, these EV companies um, are necessarily um, you know, stewards or saving the planet or whatever uh, gobbledygook that they're pitching. We have talked uh, quite some length about all the component parts that go into EVs and what the net net is. And with the idea of net zero, if that's where he was going with that Um, sounds like Gavin Newsom, but, uh, but I take his point nonetheless. Uh, Certainly it's an, it's an innovation and certainly he's right about the numbers. He's right about the, the success of Tesla uh, in that, uh, in that sector but I think the more important point, whether you agree with his underlying example or not, is the last part. People concerned with looking good while doing evil. Frack them. Yes. Yes.
3: I think of John Kerry.
0: Oh, I mean, the list goes yeah. on and on and on. The examples are legion, but right. um, but at least he's willing to put a marker down. A couple of markers there, I would say. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer.
2: Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys.
1: On AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories. Only the biggest guests. And only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. For the last couple days, we've been talking about this uh, case out of Hinsdale South. This uh, basketball player, uh, Brendan Savage, who was cut from the team, uh, even though that he was a standout as a sophomore and a junior, and uh, then a lawsuit was filed by his mom, his family, to get him reinstated on the team, and ultimately, he has been reinstated on the team, but the reporting on this has been a bit shoddy, which is not unusual for Chicago, in terms of how this all went down, how it got to the point of him being cut and the matter being litigated. So we're pleased to have his mom, Aaron Savage, join us to fill in some of these blanks. Aaron Savage, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it.
11: Good morning.
0: Sure. Uh, So so the the previous coach under whom your son played, there was a— a complaint filed against him, and that seems to be, at least from the reporting, what um, started this whole uh, process. So, what, what 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 was the nature of that? What what happened between your son and the previous coach?
11: So, um, Mr. Moretti will teach, taught Brendan's AP US History class last year. So, Brendan had him both in this AP class, and he had him as the coach, and um. I'm not really sure what why he had a problem with Brendan but Brendan started out the season with tendonopathy in his knees and my husband's a physical therapist and he said just don't don't play at the Thanksgiving tournament just wait till conference the longer you rest your knees the better off you'll be it's really hard to rehab from a tendonopathy so the coach started off by just giving Brendan a hard time for not playing telling him why don't you just go get a cortisone shot you know i mean that that was not uh, an appropriate uh, way to treat the tendonopathy, and and my husband was irritated. He's like, "Yeah, cortisone could kill the good tissue. Like, he he shouldn't be giving me this advice." And then he would he would say things to Brendan like, "You just don't want to play, do you? You're just, you're never going to play. You just don't want to." And he compared him to somebody on the football team. I don't remember somebody who hadn't really played all season because of an injury. And he's like, "You're just going to be like that kid, and you're not going to play." And um, and he just kind of you know uh spiraled from there and he would in the classroom you know gradually and it wasn't just i want to point out it wasn't just that he was giving brendan a hard time across the board he gave other students a hard time and uh or just said inappropriate things he crossed the line and it was really appalling some of the things that said so he would say things to brendan like uh, i heard you're just a he took him aside so this wasn't in front of the whole class but like after class he called him up and he said i heard you're just a uh bench warmer on your aau team which was his travel team and which meant he did some digging this had nothing to do with hensdale south um he he put on a video of vietnam vets one day and he said so we're going to watch this video you'll notice a lot of these guys are amputees and then he turned to the entire class in front of us entire class and he said so brendan maybe after you watch this you can stop complaining about your knees when you play basketball which just had absolutely completely irrelevant was inappropriate he said things to um one kid he found out her you know they they had a discussion about politics found out her parents voted for trump and he called her trumpy regularly in front of the class another girl's dad is a lawyer so he called her miss hinsdale central whenever she can you know during class time he said to asian students i know you'd rather be in math class but this is social studies um he in front of the whole class one day said to Brendan, "You know, thinking back on our on our varsity season, when I think about all the games that we lost, any game we lost, I think that it's because you were a selfish player. You know, nobody okay, would call so, Brendan a selfish player."
3: Yeah. Well, so you took this information to the school board, and they decided that he's been demoted. He's not the varsity coach anymore. Correct? He's a freshman coach.
11: Yeah. We tried. We started with the athletic director. He did nothing. I went to the history department chair. She did. She said, "Well, nobody's really complained about him. Everybody really likes him." I was like, "So what? This is because people are afraid to come forward." And then we went to the principal and then um, launched a formal complaint. And then the um, superintendent. You know, we got a letter that said he wasn't found to be in violation of the bullying and harassment policy, but he was found to not measure the the high standards of the district. And so now we have we have questions. Why is he still? All they did was swap him with a different coach on the same staff they just moved people around and shuffled people so this man who isn't doesn't measure up to the high standards is still allowed to coach and he's and, also still coaching football
0: and is he so teaching as well? Of- he's teaching as well then oh yeah
11: you can't he's got tenure so there's and, and i have such a hard time with tenure because um what other what other profession are people allowed to just do what they want and everybody says oh they've just they've got tenure we can't touch them it's particularly when they're working with children.
0: Um, yeah, so that's no, a, fair, just he's just he's a fair. That's a fair point. Um, well, so, so did what, what, When when you brought this complaint, uh, made this complaint forward, and then it was adjudicated, as you described. Were there other students that came forward after the seal was broken and said uh, and substantiated some of what you just said, and and yes. and added to what uh, your complaint alleged?
11: Yes, there were students in the classroom that. Um, that came forward and, you know, they interviewed kids that were in the class that, that, I mean, cause kids were saying that to, to Brendan, like, I can't, and, and other parents would say to me, like, I mean, everybody knows that this, this teacher has kind of a reputation of being off color and, and, and calling people out for things and just, you know, crossing the line. But parents were saying to me, like, yeah, my kid is saying this, he's like unhinged. When it comes to Brendan, he really has no, he does not hold back, and he says some of the most, you know, hurtful and just nonsensical, you know, crazy things in in front of everybody.
0: And Bre- um, and Brendan uh, and Brendan didn't did he did he get in back and forth with uh, with uh, Moretti either no, no, uh, with basketball no, no. or in class?
11: No, 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 Mm-mm. no. He wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. Okay. Um, so
3: was your son cut by the team? Because it said the Thanksgiving tournament. So he tried out. And was he cut immediately, or was he on the team but injured?
11: So last year, he skipped the Thanksgiving tournament because he was injured. And then this year, he tried out, um, tryouts were, I think, November 6th and 7th, and then they just posted a list of who made the team Mm -hmm. Tuesday night, November 7th, and his name wasn't on the list. So
3: that was a form of retaliation, you think?
11: Yes, because the two coaches, the coach that they swapped, Moretti for uh, the current coach, Bellcaster. He and Moretti are close personal friends. Um, my son is friends with Moretti because he was in his, my oldest son uh, is Facebook friends with him and, and he has screenshots of times when they, oh, here I am celebrating my birthday with my best friend. You know, so really was, so my husband and I, very important to note that my husband and I were finally able to speak to the, to the coach. We tried to speak to the principal. My husband and I sat down with the principal October 30th, so a week before tryouts. We had sent emails. Kevin, uh, My husband sent an email to the coach saying, since Brendan had another injury this year, he hurt his back, and he was... Um, during the preseason workouts, he was not able to run and jump for a while. He had to dial it back, and he was being seen by a, one of the top spine specialists. Um, because, like I mentioned, my husband's a physical therapist. So Brendan would go to open gyms when he could, but he could, he could shoot, but he couldn't run and jump. And then gradually he was coming back and able to do a little bit more and, and whatnot. Um, and the coach would, he was also on the golf team. So Brennan said once I can't come to the open gym tonight, coach, I've got, to, I've got golf after school. I've got to meet. So that's, that's a big time commitment. And the coach said, well, you're not going to be golfing at eight o'clock at night. You can still come. And Brennan said, well, I, I also have four AP classes, so I, I have to do some homework. And kids are allowed to have a fall sport. They should, these are optional workouts. They shouldn't be given a hard time if they can't right. attend.
0: So, right. so what, was the com- what was your conversation with Belcaster, the, co- the current coach? And what's your son's relationship right. with him?
11: Um, you know, I mean, Brennan just went to the, as many open, open gyms as he could. And then my husband sent him a – he was giving him a hard time. He said, if you can swing a golf club, you can play basketball. And, of course, like I said, my husband's a physical therapist, and he said, this man doesn't have an anatomy background. He doesn't know this, and it's not true. It's mm-hmm. not the same thing. So he sent him an email to explain the injury. He said, if you have any more problems or questions about my son's injury, you reach out to me. I sent an email to the principal. We saw the principal October 30th. Um, he acted kind of like, well, you played your card already. You know, he, he seemed a little bit like put out like, why are we meeting again? We've already been down this path. And we were there to say, it's the same thing. It's just a different guy. You've just shuffled people around, and and we want to know what's going to happen. Then the trials happened, and he didn't make it. The coach wouldn't meet with Brendan. We tried to set up a meeting with the principal, the athletic director, and the coach, and they wouldn't meet with us. And then um, the athletic director sent me an email and just said, you can reach out to the coach and meet with him. And I emailed back, and I said, is this in place of us meeting with the principal, the athletic director, and the coach? And I got no response. So then, the coach agreed to to have a phone call with us. So we put him on speakerphone, and my husband and I spoke to him. And our question was, "Why did our son not make the team?" And what that was um, it was very interesting. And he said there were fifteen. There was a whiteboard in practice with fifteen leadership qualities, and he measured the kids on the leadership qualities. And Brennan just unfortunately didn't measure up. And I. I Well, I did my homework on your
3: son. I mean, I talked to his AAU coach He was on Big Three, He was on Breakaways. Um, Robert Hudson signed a sworn affidavit saying he's an excellent player and he has a great attitude. And not to mention, you know, he's 6'2", 6'3", on the roster, um, is effective on the court, and his teammates want him back. And the competition was glad he didn't make the team because they do not want to
11: compete against him. So he could play D1, D2. He went through these 15 leadership qualities, one of which was chivalry. And volunteerism in the classroom, my son is very involved in the youth ministry program at our church. He's on a leadership committee there. He, uh, a, a developmentally delayed man from our church has befriended, Bre- befriended Brendan and comes to all of his games. And then Brendan, after his game, walks across the gym and talks to Michael and thanks him for coming. And Michael every time says, can you, can you take a picture with me? Mm-hmm. And he probably has enough pictures to wallpaper his room. And Brendan repeatedly responds. He, he, he has a relationship with him. He responds regularly to all of Michael's texts. He, take, he meets Brendan at the. I mean, Brendan meets Michael at the track to work on Special Olympics. You know, and help him prepare for his Special Olympic events. So he's a good kid. And so that's why I was asking, I asked the coach. I'm like, oh, so that's great. You were you were looking. He said, volunteerism in the community. That was one of the qualities he was looking for. And my husband said, so you were you were asking kids what they were doing volunteer wise, like all in the fall during their workouts. Oh no, no, just during the two day tryout. And so I said, well, what volunteer commitments are you aware of that Brendan's involved in? And he couldn't speak to it. He said, well, it was just, it was just cumulative. It was just a cumulative way that he didn't measure up. And then, um, you know, he went through like accountability, passion, um, communication, like all things that Brendan is excelled at. I mean, it was, it, it literally, it was laughable.
0: So And then so, he said, if
11: it, from a basketball standpoint, he said he he was looking for someone committed to defense. And I said, so Brendan was the top defender on the team last year, so that's great. Oh and he said, well, you're making an assumption. And I said, I'm not making an assumption. There's, there's, this is, there's statistics and it's driven by data, so you can look it up. And then he said the last basketball skill he was looking for was a variety of basketball skills, which to me is probably somebody that's, I don't know, been all conference two years in a row. Like so we got son. off the phone call and, yeah, we just looked at each other and I was like, we really were anticipating that he was going to make something up. He had been telling kids on the team that Brendan wasn't making it because of something he said, or the kids on the team just, you know, there was, there was just, you know, there was just all kinds of ambiguity. I'm like, what, why didn't he make the team? Like we should have an answer. And afterwards we were looking at each other and we're like, he has, this literally could only be retaliation. And that's when we moved forward with the lawsuit.
0: Yeah. But uh, so how is the, how, I mean, the lawsuit, for, um, you didn't just seek a uh, reinstatement on the team. You said $75,000 in damages. Why?
11: Um, because Brennan could be looked at by college coaches during his senior season. I mean, he lost so much. He was, he stood to lose so much by not having a senior season. He's part of a big family. And it was like going through a grieving process. He would occasionally look at me and say, I just realized today I won't be able to play in the in, over Christmas break. And my cousins, his dozens of cousins that come and cheer him on during, um, you know, over and over break, and he was like, "I won't have that." My mom has Alzheimer's; lives around the corner from me. I pick her up and bring her to all of his home games, and I cried one day just thinking that she was going to miss that. Just, I don't know how many more times she'll get to see him play basketball and and, and be with us. And and the, um, the
0: the 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 other the claim in the lawsuit was a, a First Amendment claim. Uh, uh, how how is that? That's a question for a lawyer. What well, what? Well, no, yeah, that no, was not.
11: A, that's the no, the lawyer definitely, you know, that, that was what he said. This was Brendan, um, you know, had every reason to anticipate being able to play. It was, he had the right to, to, to speak up and say that this coach last year was, um, you know, crossing the line and inappropriate. And then we have the letter from the district stating retaliation will not be tolerated. But then it was tolerated. No one would answer. They wouldn't even sit down with us. No one would respond or, um, or may, I, I, I literally could not believe how far it went. I, I assumed. I'm the kind of person that when something's wrong, you just talk to, you figure out who needs to correct it, and then you wait for a response. And I just couldn't believe that that wasn't happening.
3: So you haven't dropped the lawsuit yet, but he did go to practice yesterday. How did it go?
11: He did go to practice, and he had he felt good about practice. He came home. He was upbeat. Um, he, you know, it went well. He was, uh, you know, Chosen first in the, the, whatever, the, when the four kids said, were, were splitting up into scrimmages, the one team captain was like, I'll take Brendan first, you know, whoever had the first pick. And, um, his, most of the teammates were, uh, were pleased to have him there. What, you know, ever, every big part, it was just like a regular practice. So he came home and felt, uh, you know, it was good to see him upbeat. I was a little nervous, but, um, you know he's ready he's he just wants to play basketball but bottom line is he just wants to play basketball he thinks talks breathes basketball It's all he does it is his it is his true love he wakes up crazy early in the morning to practice before school he practices after school and um that hasn't stopped during this he's just continued to go to the gym and um, so
0: so so i i just i mean i I understand that he's a good player and all that and and um, made several mentions that he's all-conference. So the same coaches that were uh, uh, targeting him and retaliating him against him allegedly um, played him enough that he was all-conference the last two years and had some standout games and was Athlete of the Week. So I'm just having – how do you reconcile that? So they, they didn't get along, but uh, he was this all-conference and a standout, so he has to be playing a lot and playing well. And then it got to this point. You know, it just so me, it just doesn't...
11: Let me just it, clarify that he had... This is his fourth coach. This is the fourth varsity coach at our school in four years. Oh. So when Brendan was a sophomore, he had a different coach who was... um, Who didn't mistreat him. Who was, you know, impressed with Brendan and played him and was a good coach, gave him good feedback. And so last year's coach did play Brendan, but he would say things to him like, stop shooting. You know, and then... I, wow. I mean, I, I can't wow. explain. I can't explain why he... um why he came after him the way he did. I mean, in, in one practice, Brennan's epileptic and he came home after a practice, I think it was late February, and he was shook shook up, I mean, visibly shaking. I said, sit down. I was worried he was going to have another seizure. He said the coach just yelled at him in practice and said, I could kick you off this team and you and your whole family can go to another school and you won't even get to play basketball. And this whole thing felt very much like this guy was making his his wish come true. I hosted a pasta party for the basketball team And um, prior to this, prior to Brendan coming home saying that this guy shouted him like this, I hosted a pasta party, and when the kids were in the, you know, hanging out, they were talking about the coach, and one kid turned to him and said, um, I mean, I was standing right there, you know, filling up plates with pasta, and he said, dude, what does the coach have with you? Like, he just goes off on you for nothing. What's the deal? And Brendan was like, I don't know. And that was very eye-opening to me. You know, Brennan had come home and said a few things here and there, but when that other kid said that, I was like, after after the post party, I'm like, what what is his deal? Brennan's like, I, I don't know, but he just he goes yeah, crazy. He says, he says, hey, hey,
3: will it. you Will you drop the lawsuit if he plays? I know there's a game against Downers Grove South tomorrow night.
11: Um, I think we'll just we'll give it some time and make sure that he's not mistreated and that you know he gets to have a standard regular season and um, and then we'll just we'll just kind of take a look at it and discuss it with our lawyer.
0: Aaron Savage, mother of Brendan Savage, Hinsdale South. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate uh, you coming on and uh, filling in a lot of these blanks. Thank you. Thank you. This is Chicago's Morning Answer.
2: Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys.
1: On AM 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We finally got a a presidential debate of sorts that uh, might be worth watching. That's uh, DeSantis and Newsom tonight in Alpharetta with uh, Hannity moderating. And uh, obviously one is only a declared presidential candidate, but the other one, Newsom, desperately would like to be. Uh, Our friend Steve Moore has sort of the scorecard on Florida versus California, which will clearly be the backdrop of this discussion, even if it's national in scope. The uh, point will be whose model of governance at the state level, big, diverse states, both of them, whose model of governance should be scaled nationally nationally. Steve Moore, uh, 13.3%, uh, puts, uh, that's, uh, the highest, uh, bracket in California's income tax rate, the highest in the country. Force union rules, minimum wage that can reach 20 bucks an hour, highly restrictive land use rules with strict regulations on climate and labor, generous welfare state paying out twice as much per person as Florida. Uh, Florida has no income tax, right to work state with an ambitious school choice program by contrast, um. Yeah, not to mention the elimination of uh, gas-powered vehicles by 2035 is what California, what Newsom wants for California. In in a rich state's, poor state's report that Moore and uh, his colleagues do uh, in conjunction with the American Legislative Exchange Council each year, Florida ranks ninth in economic outlook, California 45th. Florida beats California on every socioeconomic indicator. California has lost a net 1.8 million residents to other states over the past decade, while Florida gained nearly 2 million.
3: Wow. This is going to be interesting how Gavin Newsom's going to try and spin this. And DeSantis, should I ask him, too, didn't your in-laws leave California and move to Florida?
0: Uh, Well, I want... um, Get a little personal there. When DeSantis is done with Newsom, I'd like him to debate Pritzker because you could substitute Illinois for California in that rundown of the comparison between Florida and California. You could nicely substitute Illinois there, and you basically have the same story. Maybe that would give... uh, Jelly Belly, the profile, national profile he so uh, desires as well. So let's make it a series, DeSantis versus Dem Governors. For more on this, please be joined by Noah Rothman, senior writer at National Review, author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives, War on Fun. Noah, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
16: My pleasure. Thank you. Uh,
0: what are you anticipating with tonight's desantis Newsome debate? So I think...
16: Uh, Sean Hannity and DeSantis both want to treat us to an experience that we don't deserve in this country, which is a frank and productive debate about, as you said in the beginning, two competing models, two theories of social organization, which is precisely what the founders had in mind for us. The laboratories of the states experimenting with different ideas, different ways of creating a more just and valuable social compact and setting them against each other and finding out what works best and that bubbling up the top. At least that's the theory, right? And this is kind of a – that's, I think, what Gavin Newsom wanted to begin with. Remember, he picked this fight right. oh, in yeah. the summer of 2022 when he started airing ads that he paid for in Florida saying that your state is a hellscape of uh, illiberalism saying that you don't understand, you don't have liberty in your state, that we do. We have the kind of freedom that you don't have. Freedom, from speech, freedom of speech, freedom from hate, freedom to love. Those were the words of this advertisement. And now I get the sense that he's kind of backing away from it. I don't think he's going to want that head-on confrontation about really substantive policy. I think he's going to try to make a, establish a contrast between himself and DeSantis in terms of personality. He's a very slick guy. He's an um uh, a charismatic guy and a compelling guy. Whatever you think of his policies and his persona, he, he's a natural politician. And I don't think DeSantis is. And that's what I think he's going to try to emphasize and try to evade direct questions about um, contrasting California's disastrous policies with those of Florida.
3: Do you think that this is a way he could save DeSantis could save his campaign? Or is it? Oh, God, sort of like... no. I hope he
16: doesn't think that. <laughs> no, I don't. I hope he doesn't think that. No, I don't think a televised uh, Fox debate uh, between DeSantis and somebody who's not running for president will do anything for his presidential prospects. Um, I think it'll get him in the news cycle for a little bit, which is something that he's desperately needed, DeSantis. But I, I, I struggle to envision the sequence of events that could unfold tonight that would redound to his benefit with the Republican primary electorate. Let's assume I mean, let's let's say that there's a viral moment because we're not even talking let's you know, the max floor uh, Fox News audience on a weekday primetime night is like three million total. We're not even talking about a Republican primary voters. So there would need to be some viral event that dominates the news cycle for a long time, uh, well through the weekend in order to have any impact on his trajectory. And I struggle to to imagine that. That might be a failure of imagination on my part. I kind of hope it is. I just
0: I, I struggle to see it. Maybe DeSantis will come out with his hair slick back uh to uh parody the uh, oil slick he's debating. <laughs> and we could do something like that. A little stunt, you know. I don't know. Something That'd SNL worthy. Yeah. And then
3: they'll focus in on his boots to see if there's lifts in there and stupid stuff like that.
0: Um the um uh, the 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 DeSantis campaign, um what, what's your uh, I mean, since you sort of indicated you think it's um, on life support, uh, what's your explanation as to why? Why Why is he right now in a in an existential battle with Nikki Haley for, you know, the right to to zero in on Trump?
16: Well, there are a lot of competing theories about this, and I don't think it's on life support. I, I want to make that clear. We okay. have no polls out of Iowa since Ron DeSantis received the endorsement of a the state governor. Um, Kim Reynolds, and um, the family leader, CEO, Bob, Bob Vander Plaats is an extremely influential uh, evangelical in the state. Every person he's ever endorsed for this in this century, for this race, has won the race, even when they've been far, far behind in the polls. Now, his losing record, his winning record might might not hold up this year because there's very different conditions, and the person he, he's endorsing is behind in the polls by something like 30 points to Donald Trump. But we don't have evidence yet to suggest... That that hasn't moved the needle, and I would be shocked if it didn't. That said, uh, his trajectory out of Iowa has narrowed significantly. I don't know where he goes after Iowa. He's he's falling behind dramatically in New Hampshire. South Carolina looks rough. Nevada looks rough. And then you get Super Tuesday. Where do you go? So his his pathway is very narrow now. And why is that? Why is Nikki Haley rising? Well, a lot again of competing theories. Mine is that. Ron DeSantis started with a theory of the race that maintained that he could peel off enough of Donald Trump's soft supporters to establish something that looked like a competing coalition on paper. And he would present that to the remaining anti-Trump forces who were dyed-in-the-wall anti-Trump forces who will vote, crawl over glass to vote against Donald Trump within the GOP and say, look, I'm what you got. This is what it is. You, got, you, know, I'm, you, may, I, I, you may not like some of my policies, you may not like my populist appeal, you may not like this, you may not like that, but I'm the guy, I'm the vehicle. And so he didn't ask for their votes. And Nikki Haley did. That's it. Beginning, middle, and end. Nikki Haley appealed primarily to Republicans who are most receptive to the message that the Republicans need to move on to Trump. Ron DeSantis did not broadcast that message for fear that it would alienate so many Republican voters who don't want to move on from Donald Trump. Clearly the majority of the Republican Party. That wasn't a a theory that was defensible on paper, but it hasn't worked out for him. So Nikki Haley has a smaller coalition, but it is nevertheless one that is amassing all the the Republicans in the Republican Party, 20%, 25%, however you want to measure that, who are anti-Trump and who will vote for the candidate, who asks for their vote, and wants to move on from Donald Trump's movement. So, And there's a lot of irritation at Republican voters who are making these decisions, who are moving towards Haley's direction, saying, listen, you're sacrificing this opportunity to move on from Donald Trump, but this is a a failure to comprehend human psychology. These Republicans were not asked to support Ron DeSantis. They were told to support Donald Ron DeSantis. And you can't blame them for resenting it.
0: So even if 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 it's a a three person race after New Hampshire, let's say Chris Christie goes away, uh, effectively a three person race. Maybe Ramaswamy stays in and peels off a few points, but 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 how how does how is this race competitive? Uh, I I just don't see a path for either one of them, particularly as long as both of them stay in and both have the resources to do it.
16: Yeah, I mean that's that's the most likely outcome that you just described um oh, eight out of ten rolls of the dice based on where we are now we'll give you a, a donald trump nomination if you squint real hard and take a look at a possible pathway for somebody like nikki haley because I, as i said ronda Santos is a very narrow path he would need to pop out of iowa and then just flip the script everywhere but ronda DeS- or let's say nikki haley catches a number two spot in iowa ronda santis <laughs> is kind of disappointed, but he has the money to continue through the early states. He doesn't drop out. But um, everybody else does, with the exception of Vivek, who can pay for his, pay his freight for as long as he wants to go. And Chris Christie drops out. Then let's say Nikki Haley gets the endorsement of Sununu. He, she becomes the number two. All the independents in New Hampshire vote for her. Nikki Haley emerges victorious in New Hampshire. She's got a lot of momentum. Everybody, you know, Momentum is actually a measurable phenomenon in these contests. You get a ton of attention. You get a second look from voters. It, it self-perpetuates. So then she goes into South Carolina, where she's uh, she's got a lot of heat on her from people who remember her, her governorship uh, unfavorably. But nevertheless, most Republicans in the state like her. Let's say she emerges from that Victoria. So then Donald Trump is one for three. Heading into Nevada is kind of weird. Nevada's both got a caucus and a primary state going on. They really just messed up their whole system. So let's just put that to one side. And you're going into Super Tuesday. And you've got Nikki Haley, who's got all the momentum. All the donors behind her, she blankets the airwaves, and Donald Trump has this air of failure, Think stink about him now. And again, you got to squint real hard to see it, but a lot of the soft support around Donald Trump, and he does have soft support. There's something like 35% of the Republican electorate is Trump and Trump alone, but everybody else is Trump maybe and kind of looking around. And those guys then begin to defect. That's the pathway for a non-Trump nominee. But as you said, it's an, it's an 80-20 proposition at this stage.
0: And Biden. I mean, is there I, I know there's some people that are still persisting. I think I saw Tucker Carlson say he didn't think that either Trump or Biden would be the nominee, which is, I guess, really? a, a get, way to get attention. But I don't see how uh, there's I mean, we already talked about Trump, but the same thing with Biden. I mean, it, you, you've got pieces out this week uh, you know, do, from uh, pollsters like Doug Schoen basically saying, look, look, uh, as odd as it might sound, Biden is the strongest Democrat candidate uh, at present, certainly within the environment that would ensue if he were to step aside. So do you see any any emerging threat to Biden as the nominee?
16: I don't. I disagree with that analysis. I think that's actually true today. But in, uh, after a competitive primary, <laughs> which would you know be practiced among Democrats, and a consensus Democrat emerges— uh, that's not Joe Biden. I, I definitely think that consensus Democrat would cobble together the old coalition. I think Joe Biden is artificially low at this stage. Um, in polling, where you see the, these head-to-heads where Donald Trump is performing especially well, he's performing a little bit better than he did in 2020, but not markedly better than he did in 2020, and not markedly better than he did in 2016. He's still polling on average around 46%, 47%, which is what he gets in the popular vote. Uh, Joe Biden, by contrast, is just, just scraping the bottom of the barrel. And I don't think that lasts on November, by November 2024. I think the coalition comes together and comes home after a grueling campaign where everybody's very polarized. Um, But Uh, no, I don't see an emerging threat to Joe Biden.
3: The parties are too weak. They're too sclerotic. Sorry for interrupting. Do you think uh, President Biden is going to get, uh, I mean, last time he got 92% of the black vote. Do you think that's going to change?
16: Yeah, that could change. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like 85. I would have to see what the exit polls were. I don't uh, from 2020. I don't recall what the actual uh, final tally was for African American voters. But it's been there's been attrition in Democratic support among African Americans, particularly uh, Black men, for uh, the last couple of cycles. So I would expect to see that continue. I just wouldn't expect to see it continue to the degree that it has a measurable effect on outcomes. A lot of these votes are. Um, located in densely populated urban areas, so they have a limited impact on the electoral map. But yeah, I would expect that, to con- that attrition to continue.
0: And the third party wildcard, RFK Jr., uh, maybe Mansion?
16: Yeah, who knows? I mean, there's nothing that Americans agree on, like they agree on the undesirability of a Trump Biden rematch. This environment is going to draw a lot of potential wildcards into the race. I don't know what RFK or Joe Manchin, if he wants to jump in, or uh, you know uh, the Shark Tank guy, if he wants to run. I don't know. Like all these people could have to have profoundly unpredictable effects on the political trajectory here, and it depends on if they get ballot access. We don't know who's going to be on the ballot, where and how, so it's impossible to game out at this stage. I will say that RFK presents a challenge. I think to Donald Trump in one particular way. Uh, Donald Trump needs to do one of two things to win back the White House. One, convince the people who voted against him to vote for him. And that is a difficult psychological hurdle to overcome. Once you cast your ballot against somebody, it is really hard to convince them to to do the opposite, to vote for them. It can be done, but it's hard. The second is to do what he did in 16, remake the electorate. Draw out a lot of voters who are unreliable voters, who are unenthused about the process, and convince them to vote for maybe the first time in a long time, or if ever. Um, that pres- that's an obstacle if RFK is in the race and on the ballot, because if you didn't vote in 16, you didn't vote in 20, you don't vote in the midterms, you don't vote in off years, because you're disgusted with the process. You don't like anybody. You think the entire – every establishment, every institution is corrupt. And here's this guy saying that who's completely outside politics, who's completely outside norms and relative you know, standards of decorum, and he's the guy who's going to appeal to that person. Who doesn't vote? He's the guy who's going to say, well, I, I really want to shake things up. Who's going to shake things up? It's not going to be Donald Trump. He was already president. RFK is going to shake things up. So I think that presents an obstacle to Donald Trump's math if if RFK were to secure ballot access everywhere, which is a uh, an open proposition.
0: Noah Rothman, senior writer, National Review, author of the book The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives, War on Fun. Noah, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
3: Thank you. Thank you, too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.
1: Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560. The Answer. The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. It's not happening. It's not happening. It happened. <laughs> Brighton Park, the uh, migrant base camp, tents expected to be completed in a matter of days and will house 500 migrants at first. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hmm. What they say, what they do. Uh, Chicago. By the way, um, uh, given um, BLM Brandon's uh, tirade the other day about right-wing extremism, I'm... Uh, reluctant to raise this issue but it is just kind of one of those fun ones like his 120 person police detail for a guy who wants to defund the police uh chicago mayor's motorcade racks up eight red light and speed camera tickets in five weeks currently owes 1700 bucks in fines
3: well that's nothing new brandon johnson didn't pay his parking ticket violations or his water bill remember
0: well now the city we all can pay for them so that he can get to places uh you know and not be Bothered by uh, speed limits or red lights that, uh, you know, the hoi polloi have to deal with. It was so
3: bad uh, during Rahm Emanuel that they actually turned off the red light camera at Ashland and Irving and then the one by the cemetery there in Irving Park. But then as soon as he lost or, you know, didn't run again or whatever, uh, they turned him right back on.
0: It's the little things that are indicative of the big things, the ruling Mm -hmm. class mentality. For uh, more on uh, BLM Brandon's performance to this point and other matters affecting the city, please be joined again by Willie Wilson, former mayoral candidate. Willie, thanks for being with us again. Appreciate it. All
6: right. Thanks, Dan Amy. Appreciate you guys having us here.
0: Are you you staying in communication with uh, Brandon Johnson? Is he uh, leaning on you for any uh, engagement and assistance?
6: Uh no, I, I will text maybe um uh, I don't know three or four times, but that's about it. Uh, we have not been uh, in person communicating nothing of that nature, you know. So I kind of like mm. uh I think we're on a different page here. Uh, in terms of the mayor and myself, we are uh, totally different pages. I spoke out about this uh, crisis that was uh immigrant illegal. Immigrant, uh, done mayor old debate, and I, I said you got to take your home first. And so, and taxes and things of that nature, we all our side. But you know, hey, wish can best of uh, best of luck. But um, there's there's some serious issues here, you know.
3: Well, on the same day that they announced, or that they breaking ground on the tent camp, they just announced uh, moments ago that Amundsen Park's going to reopen. And uh, to me. If you're going to open Amundsen Park uh, because the black community complained, why not? He like, Brandon Johnson doesn't care about the white people because Broadway Armory is still being used to house 300 migrants, all men, by the way. And then you still have Gage Park. So is this an example of Brandon Johnson taking care of the black people over white people?
6: You know, I, I really don't know, but the way I always look at it and I've been pretty much consistent with it, it really doesn't matter to me what color you are. You're a human being. You're citizen of Chicago, and we should be uh, trying to reach a goal that we all can work together and not be so segregated together in terms of neighborhood, our beliefs, and things of that nature as well. Uh, I, I think you should listen to the citizen, I, the people who voted in um, and then take care of your citizen. First, if the citizen do not want certain things in the community then you should go that way but but seeing to me the politics a little different, like to me the the uh politicians are just running the city but ain't consulting with the uh community or uh, going against the uh community uh, will you know
0: well he's uh besieged by right wing extremism that's uh that he discussed uh, the other day. What was your reaction to uh some of the statements he made earlier this week where he said that basically republicans. Uh, are still upset that uh, a black man is free.
6: Uh, I I don't know about that one. I, I do not agree with none of that. I think I think a conversation like this uh that it that coming up is just dividing a wedge between the the uh the people whether you're Republican or Democratic. You know both parties have good ideas and bad ideas. All right, and 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 and, and so you got to listen to the to people overall. But you sh- certainly should have a better way of communication uh, and bring those type of conversations up. Just light a match to the to the uh, trees or the hay or something like that. Uh, right. I, it, 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 it's uh, it's it's um it's amazing. I, it's a different kind of a government. I'm I'm not for sure he necessarily running the city. I, I I think maybe it's just, just it's the union I and mean, Trump won because they're running the city. I guess uh, mm. that, or that that's just Yeah, you know?
3: I mean the CTU president, she's because she couldn't run because her favorability was in the single digits, and because so she I lives in South Bend. She, right, that that too. But I mean, yeah, I think that she's running the show up there. So you don't think there's an audience in the African American community or the Black community for comments that Brandon Johnson has made?
6: i i i you may have a few but not not really not not really i i i really don't 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 think so i i think that the particularly the african american community has been um depressed as a whole now for a long time um and they feel that look uh they can go to the poll and and then then vote they want some back return into their community on the dollar they, they spend. That's not happening, and whether you uh, have, in this particular case here, black mayor or white mayor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I did when as, as you know, when I ran for mayor, I did not endorse uh, uh, Johnson because he was, he was black. I voted, I uh, endorsed Paul Ballard. Um, because I thought that time, and still think at the time, it was a better... Better choice you know and and, and so I think you had to do certain things for the community that's out here that is that's um uh don't get the tax dollar back into that community these communities in the American community um uh, some of them still look like it was still in nineteen sixty eight haven't changed
0: well not, that, not one bit that and uh there them hell. And a lot of those neighborhoods are still beset by uh, you know, record, at least over the last 30 years, record uh, incidences of violent crime. And next year, we uh, have the opportunity to elect a, a new Cook County State's Attorney. Do you have any perspective on that race? And I mean, of course, this Cook County State's Attorney's hands are still going to be tied by, even if they were not of the disposition of Kim Fox, are still going to be tied by the, the Safety Act. But... Uh, do you have any perspective on the Cook County State's Attorney's race?
6: Uh, I, I haven't been. You know, nobody been talking about it, How, You know, it hasn't been in the news, and it haven't been in TV ad or radio ad. I uh, the two people that committed, I think Bob uh made the Theret right uh, that he was going to run. So I think that's three of them that I know of. All right. But in terms of their views and their stands and things of that nature, uh I haven't I just haven't heard from anybody. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I, waiting to hear, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean I, I if if um, I would be concerned, I suspect you would be too, since you just made mention that she's prob- maybe she's the one running the city, Tony Preckwinkle, that you get another Tony Preckwinkle protege in there to replace Kim Fox. That would be a concern, wouldn't it?
6: uh for, for me because it it it's turning out the same as you got things uh, running out with the city uh and uh, you know so i it it's uh it's a concern i it, it's a concern my my ears is open to 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 sit and talk and to hear those uh those opinions that they have to uh to make once they once they come out and then uh they come out then i'll be able to and say okay i support this or support that or oh, i'll stay, uh i'll just stay involved and do all i can do to help
0: you know speaking of which uh, i understand you're still uh keeping up with your humanitarian work and since you're out in the community and you're helping people in need um you were just sort of alluding to it when you said some of these neighborhoods haven't changed since the late 60s what what is the situation with uh People in some of the poorer neighborhoods in Chicago, from your perspective,
6: no. Uh, overall, as a whole, um, de- uh, depressed and confused. You know, um, there's a situation where that. You know, let's say, example, of Austin when they when the flood came. Well, those those guys and uh, over there and that neighborhood couldn't even get help to get water and stuff out there, housing raw sewage and things of that nature. Um I think I went and we we donated some um you know gloves, disposable stuff. I I I don't forgot the amount of it, I think maybe about three hundred thousand or maybe four hundred thousand dollars worth just to get to help. And but at the same token you you know, that happened is that you you are uh, raising money, hundreds of millions of dollars to support the illegal, not say illegal, illegal immigrants, and not helping the people who are in that flood or the homeless and things of that nature. And that's what makes people more depressed than anything.
3: Right. You know? So this Saturday you're having a one-day-only uh, gas and grocery giveaway. Can you tell us the details?
6: Uh, yeah. Uh, I We have... Um, let me see about twenty three grocery stores. Uh if you go to Willow Wilson Facebook, you'll see all of them located there. We got twenty three, I think seventeen of our peak market place. And the other one is up north. And then we got thirteen we had fourteen service stations, but one I think caught on Friday had closed it down yesterday, so now we got thirteen service stations left. And we're donating uh also to the um Cook county in jail as well, and to some restaurant in the west side of Chicago told about uh five thousand people that we are feeding uh feed a, giving a card to at least that they can go in and shop in, in in the grocery store and buy what they want and and so i, I that that it, i don't think I think it might end up with about Three hundred thirty-three thousand, but I think it'll be more than that when it get done. Probably about close to four hundred thousand because we're still going to go down into Southern Illinois and New Orleans to donate money as well during these holiday season. But yeah. Chicago alone, just with the stores here, alone, here, we're going to help five thousand people to go into the stores and shop and get what they want to uh, to have and hope that the Fifty dollars each for food um, would help, and then fifty dollars each for 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 gasoline would help ease the burden of, for this particular uh, holiday season. And Very cool.
0: So Very nice. Uh,
6: done that.
0: That's great. Good for you, Willie. I'm sure, people appreciate that as well. They should. Um, uh, speaking of grocery stores. What do you think about uh, Brandon Johnson's idea for a city-run grocery store? Do you think the city government would be good at running a grocery store?
6: Well, they can't run what they got right now.
0: Yeah, well, there's that. I mean, yeah.
6: yeah, yeah. So I, I don't, I don't, I just don't see it. I, I it, to to me, I, I, I thought I knew politics, but this politics right here is confusing to me. This, yeah. is, this, is, this is this is this is total confusing. The, 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 the crime and uh, the, the, the raising money for people who did not uh, vote or did not come into the uh, country uh, legally and um, uh, not even following the constitution of the United States. Um, I go to China and around the world. I gotta have a visa. Everybody gotta check me out before I even before, before I even go get there. You know, and people comes into the country. You better know who you who you letting in your house. You know,
0: so yes, be uh, befuddling times indeed. Willie Wilson, former mayoral candidate. Uh, again, you get all the information on his uh, food and fuel giveaway at his uh, Facebook page, right? Willie, Willie Wilson Facebook page. Uh,
6: yeah, Willie Wilson Facebook. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Thank you, sir. Good to talk to you again. Appreciate it. Good too. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.
3: Yeah. God bless you. And you can also see the information about the gas and grocery store locations on Twitter at Dr. Willie Wilson. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.
1: Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636
0: to download the app today. Uh, we've had some uh, momentous passings this week. Uh, Charlie Munger, Billionaire, right hand man of Warren Buffett, of course, Henry Kissinger yesterday. We'll get to those. But I, I don't want to leave out Esther Claven. Frances Sternhagen, at the age of 93. You remember her.
9: I understand, Clifford. If this is the woman you've chosen to take my place, <laughs> I guess the only thing for me to do is die. <laughs>
16: Uh, what are you doing?
9: I'm dying.
16: <laughs> You're not dying. We stop it. Come on.
9: No need to take me to the graveyard, Clifford. Just set me next to your tubby friend there. <laughs> and when I start to bloat, just toss me in the dumpster.
12: Hey, thanks for bringing your mom, bike.
0: <laughs> part, part of the greatest ensemble cast uh, ever put together for a sitcom. Francis Sternhagen, rest in peace, 93, Cliff's mom.
1: Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Why would Elon Musk deign to go to the New York Times Deal Book Summit and indulge a smug twit like Aaron Ross Sorkin with an interview? Well, apparently he had some things he wanted to get off his chest about uh, the uh, media matters instigated advertising boycott by big corporate uh, types uh, of X or Twitter and uh when uh inevitably queried about that uh he spoke in no uncertain terms
14: and, and, and you're clarifying this now um but there's a public perception that that was part of a apology tour if you will that so we, this had been said online there was all of the criticism there was advertisers leaving we talked to bob Iger i hope today. they stop you hope uh, don't advertise you don't want them to advertise no
12: what do you mean If if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go f yourself. (laughs) But go f yourself. (laughs) Is that clear? Uh, I hope it is. Hey, Bob. if You're in the audience. Uh,
0: It's clear to me. I mean,
3: people in the audience were laughing like, I don't think he thinks this is funny. He's telling the truth.
0: It was a little bit of nervous laughter because it was, I think, rather unexpected. Uh, For more on the topic of uh, Elon Musk going thermonuclear, that's the title of his piece. Mark Hemingway, senior writer at RealClearInvestigations.com, joins us. Mark, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it.
7: Glad to be back.
0: Uh, Were you uh, taken aback at all by uh, uh, Elon's uh, blunt pushback to (laughs) corporate America? (laughs)
7: I guess I wasn't surprised, um, but, you know, at the same time, everybody in the media space and, and I mean, just public intellectuals in general, you know, let alone people that are you know powerful in the business world have become so like, like and afraid of any sort of backlash for anything they say. Um, and so uh, it's still just amazing to hear someone of his stature say that.
0: Well, yeah, and uh, not to mention who he's directing it to. Uh, So, you know, Bob Iger at Disney and these other corporations that have fallen in line with this, um, I think, uh, I think it's fair to call it fraud that was perpetrated by Media Matters and is now the subject of a lawsuit filed by Elon Musk. Uh, Develop that for a little bit for us, will you?
7: Yeah, well, basically what happened was a couple of weeks ago, Media Matters, which is basically an execrable organization. I mean, they exist basically silence and intimidate people. I mean, what they do is they, they you know, go and they, they take outrageous comments of people saying cable news or snippets from columns or whatever that they didn't like. And, you know, very often, you know, they take these things wildly out of context and they try and basically, you know, highlight these things and, and, and scare the person, you know, by giving them negative publicity. In the case of Elon Musk, what they did was just absolutely incredible. They basically followed a bunch of people on Twitter that were known for being edgy or extremist. And then they, like, game the system by refreshing the, their feeds over and over again. Twitter is a very detailed thing. There are legal briefs that they file, you know, explaining how this was artificially created. They basically went out of their way to manipulate Twitter's platform to – get corporate advertising next to like extremist tweets or whatever. And then they went to the corporations themselves and were like, do you support this platform? You know, you know, you putting your advertising next to these white nationalists or whatever. And the corporations, of course, all freaked out, but, you know, Twitter, you know, points out that, you know, they can, they can prove they're, they're alleging that they can prove that in some cases, like these tweets were literally seen by, you know, twice, including by the person that originally posted it. Um, so, it really was just, you know, a blatant attempt, according to them, to, you know, make Twitter look bad and silence them because they're the only major platform uh, out there that is doing anything to stand up for free speech, essentially, and can't be controlled by, you know, uh, the you know organizations like Media Matters or, you know, the Democratic Party.
0: I mean, you write in your piece, uh, what is in play here may be nothing less than free expression in this country. This is more than about the bottom line. And uh, so, I mean, explain what you mean by that and whether you think Musk agrees with you.
7: Um, I mean, I think that Musk absolutely agrees with me. I mean, you know, buying Twitter you know, for $44 billion wasn't exactly a, a slam dunk, you know, in terms of it being a savvy business decision for Musk. I mean, he did it because. One, I think he likes the product and he is, you know, fun with it, obviously. But more than that, though, he's been very, you know, um, open over and over again about how he thinks that free speech is being threatened by basically, you know, woke people and, and uh, people that are heavily invested in um, controlling political narratives. Um, I mean, if you just look at what happened in 2020 with, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop, where Twitter under the previous ownership, without even like looking into the story, immediately um you know, censored people i mean not not just like you know put advisories or tried to warn people this was fake news, they literally made it for you know so that you couldn't share the New York Post link to the story about hunter biden's laptop, and of course, you know, now, even the New York Times and the Washington Post admit that the hunter Biden's laptop is you know is is true. I mean, everything on it appears to be, you know, accurate. I mean, it has not been manipulated by shady Russians or anything, but that was the narrative right out of the gate, and they censored it going into an election to try and control the outcome of that election. I mean, there's no question about what happened there. Um, you know, and when you see things like that happen, you should be worried about whether or not we're going to, you know, have, live in an environment where the First Amendment allows people to make informed decisions about elections.
3: So as a way to repair his image, I, I guess, uh, Elon Musk... You know, he's not an anti-Semite, but he went to Israel. What did you think about that visit?
7: Um, You know, look, I mean, obviously, this was another situation here where, um, you know, he responded to something that I think got totally, uh, I mean, he wasn't exactly careful. And one of the things about Twitter is that it's very, because you're limited to 280 characters or whatever it is, it's very easy to say something, you know, pithy or, you know, or something that is much more nuanced in a direct way, um, and get in trouble. And he responded to this tweet having to do with, you know, Jewish interests, which, I, I, you know, if you read the tweet in a very favorable, you know, reading, I don't think it could be construed as anti-Semitic at all, and lots and lots of, you know, Jews actually wrote to Elon's defense. You know, people like um, Yaron Hazoni and, you know, Ben Shapiro and stuff basically came out and said, like, look, this is ridiculous controversy. But the reality is, is that anything that they can do to tarnish Musk and, you know, to, you know, to paint this portrait that he's, you know, running, he's an extremist himself running an extremist platform, they're going to use to try and go after Musk and to go after X or Twitter because they, the current... Sort of, you know, information regime cannot stand that there is one major outlet for news out there that isn't engaged in massive self censorship to further basic political narratives that you know favor of D.C. establishment at a time when all sorts of things are going wrong in this country, um, and, and that's really about as, as simple as it, as it is.
0: Well, and we have this uh, development too on the same uh, topic. Uh, First, we had the Twitter files, and now we've got this whistleblower that's apparently provided information to Michael Schellenberger and to Matt Taibbi that provides more details about how this censorship industrial complex was stood up after Brexit and then after Trump's election and how engaged uh, the federal government, federal agencies were, like Department of Homeland Security, not limited to Department of Homeland Security, in – uh, collaborating colluding directing uh, non social media companies directly or through cutouts like this election integrity partnership to uh, uh, to censor information on social media so I mean this 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 other piece of it too as you were sort of getting to is it's not just that he's running a different program than the other social media companies is that you know all of the state apparatuses, Uh, can't get to him. And uh, and 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 then he exposed them by providing all that information that provided the reporting on on the Twitter files. So now they've really got uh, an axe to grind.
7: Oh, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And I I would also like to mention at this point in time that, you know, the uh, congressional Republicans released a report showing, you know, the extent to which um, this obscure Department of Homeland Security uh, agency, and there was another agency in the federal government. I'm, I forget where exactly it was located, but they were working with Stanford disinformation researchers, right. and they were compiling an extensive watch list of people that they were flagging for tweets that they didn't like, and it was you know, relatively harmless stuff. I know this because my wife was on that watch list.
0: I mean, this is insane. <laughs> yeah,
7: I mean, you know, is this America? I mean, for crying out loud. I mean, it. it, you know, people should be very, very concerned about what is going on and the fact that, you know, all of these people are conspiring. I mean, none of this is happening in any sort of transparent or democratic way. I mean, this is a bunch of unelected bureaucrats conspiring with, you know, private actors, you know, that control major platforms pressure them and to censor people and to you know use algorithmic you know monkeying to you know make things less visible I mean it is just happening across the board and the funny thing is is yes this has all been exposed at Twitter thanks Elon Musk but like what do you think is happening at Facebook you know what do you think is happening at you know major newsrooms around the country when controversial news arrives? do you think that these same people don't have their tentacles in those places of
0: course they do well exactly Exactly. Well, and and this, you know, i talked to Michael Benz, former cybersecurity guy at State Department. And he I mean, he was uh, instrumental in some of the reporting done by reporters like Schellenberg and Taibbi in terms of uh, of uh, the censorship industrial complex within the federal government. And then these new cutouts, the the pivot they're making with uh, organizations like NewsGuard, that's uh, headed up by a bunch of ex deep state types to serve the same purpose without having to, you know, get direction from federal agencies because they already know what to do. So, I mean, they're, they're pivoting to try to do in 20, well, to do on a rolling basis, but certainly with an eye toward 2024, the same thing that they have been doing since 2016. And to your point um, you and, and some of the other names I've mentioned, and there's a handful of others, but uh, are the ones reporting it, but it's not getting near in my mind the profile that it deserves, given the threat that it presents.
7: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 people should be screaming to the high heavens about this. I and mean, there's a handful of people in Congress that are concerned. But the fact that, you know, this isn't like a five alarm fire for Republicans, is, it's just an appalling indictment. I mean, like if we lose this battle on free speech, it's based, that's the ballgame. I mean, you know, we already feel threatened from a lot of different angles, but but I mean, free speech is pretty much the cornerstone of the republic, and it is very, very, very much, you know, threatened right now. Um, I I don't know what to do about it. I mean, like, you know, I'm writing frantically all the time on
0: these topics
7: like, yeah. and so are lots of people out there. I mean, there are plenty of good people out there. You mentioned them, you know, Michael Schellenberger, Matt Taibbi um all kinds of other people that have really been making this a thing but what i just don't understand is the entire journalistic establishment is fine with it like why is the washington post and new york times not concerned about this and the reason why is they've surrendered everything to politics um to a degree that is just you know sort of terrifying i mean i don't agree with Matt on much of anything politically but he's absolutely right about free expression and he gets why this is, is so concerning um, you know, just because your favorite, you know, regime is in power right now and, you know, they're pushing some sort of, you know, left leaning um, agenda that you're really happy about doesn't mean that that can't change. And the same people and different people can't come in and use these same, you know, tools that have been built up to censor people against you. I mean, like this just seems like so patently obvious. And it's so weird because, you know, somebody's been in journalism nearly 25 years. When I started out, I mean, like every single person in every you know, newsroom that I ever worked in would have agreed with me on this, even though I, I you know, was always more to the right than, than most of my colleagues. Um, but, you know, the people that were, you know, the, the solid Democratic left-leaning people in the newsroom, they would have agreed on the bedrock principle of free speech. We don't have that, then we don't have anything. And yet somehow now, uh, you know, no one in the broader media is concerned about the very thing that allows them to operate that is the lifeblood of, of what they do. They're content being, you know, basically state propaganda. It's crazy.
0: Mark Hemingway, Senior Writer, RealClearInvestigations.com, his piece, Why Elon Musk is Going Thermonuclear. Mark, thanks as always. Thanks for having me.
3: Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro Answer line.
0: Hear about the big stories of the
1: day, then talk about them, right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Personality hires. Well, you've got to have a lot of excess cash hanging around, I guess, to uh, make personality hires gen z workers say they should be hired for their personality not productivity <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. ever had one of those three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six d a turnkey pro text line uh the personality hire is the uh person whose function in a corporate setting is to provide the jokes banter playfulness needed in order to quote Set the vibes, unquote. So who's that
3: person here on our show?
0: (laughs) Well, obviously, it's me. I mean, of course. Uh, Lighten the mood, right? Fun, playful. Um, Corporate America employee, Bella Rosa Mortel, 22-year-old, self-proclaimed chief vibes officer. No. Yes. Told her business insider, previous managers have appreciated her energy, calling it the nicest compliment she has received. Mm Mm-hmm. there's uh, you know examples of this you have this is i guess popular uh sharing going on on tiktok um she uh said her, she uh does these um this integration of Gen zinglingo into the office parlance and she did these tiktok videos and her the manager at the software company she works at found the videos hilarious In a team call yesterday he was like before we get started, Bella Rose, do you want to set the vibes for our call today? Oh, God, let's not... Her videos have sparked realization among so-called personality hires who feel their mission is to lighten things up, not lighten someone else's workload.
3: 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro Answer line. You could also talk to us on our text line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick
0: comment. I'll tell you, I mean, it's pretty innovative. I mean, if you can get away with this scam, then, uh, you know, good for you.
3: I would have to say, I think our vibe director is definitely Justin Kosick, hands mm. down. Mm.
0: The, personality, uh, the personality hire is the, also the client whisperer. The personality hire is mm-hmm. crucial to the social equilibrium of the workplace. The the um, uh, That's some of the benefits provided by the personality hire.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Does he provide that, though? I don't know. Hmm.
0: That's well. That's what I say. I think it's. Right. I mean, I tell you, there's a way to test it. Who's the okay, person I hire, doing? and who's the who's the workhorse? Um, there's this uh, test that was posted. The uh, it's the eighth grade Constitution test in Illinois. Fifteen questions. All right. Oh, God. Let's see who's. let see. Me
3: we're going to do math today, or have no? It's all so no math.
0: Is... No, no Constitution no, test. No constitution math. Okay. No. All right, so we'll do, we'll alternate these questions. I haven't taken the test. I'm oh, fairly God. confident I'm going to are, do well. Are
3: we seriously doing this?
0: We're doing it. Because we have to see as who's bringing the personality, lightening the mood, setting the vibe, and who is the, uh, you know, the staid, pasty, white egghead.
3: Okay, are, are Quinn and Justin going to play along with no, this? No, 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 oh, no. wait.
0: This for eighth graders.
3: I know, but fifth-grade math sometimes is... <laughs> it's...
0: it's you're, you're still not... It's still not math. Okay. It's the Constitution. Do uh, you want the first question, or do you want me to take the first question? No, just... They're no. true and false. I know. You get a 50-50 shot. Okay. Which... Do you want it to go first, or you want me to go first?
3: I'm going to go first. Illinois became a state in 19- 1848 and was the 21st state. True or False.
0: Are you answering that or are you asking no, me?
3: Mean, I'm asking you. Illinois oh. became a state in 1848 and was the 21st state.
0: That's Dan Prof, is that true or false? False. became a state in 1818.
3: Correct. And it was the 21st state, though, but it became a state in 1818.
0: All right, number two uh, for okay. you. Both the Illinois Constitution and the United States Constitution have a Bill of Rights. True or false?
3: That is true.
0: Correct. <sighs> All right. It's tied, 1-1. Here. All right, let's go next. All right.
3: The Tenth Amendment of the, the United States Constitution recognizes the power of states. True or false, Stan Profth? True. You are correct.
0: Yeah. Uh, number four, the biggest <laughs> item in state spending is for highways. True or false?
3: Uh, in Illinois, isn't it for government? Hey-o. No, it is for, it is for highways. Build that back is, better.
0: That is not true. It's not true? It's false.
3: I mean, false, false, false. <laughs> um, sorry.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, is it uh You've the environment? Behind. Is
3: it healthcare?
0: Uh, the biggest item in state spending is what? Yeah, yeah it's Medicaid. Oh, okay. Uh, most. Oh, wait. No, it's no. my turn. Go ahead.
3: Most Illinois Illinois court cases take place in the circuit courts. True, true. or false? Correct. You are true. <laughs>
0: All right. Uh, the original thirteen colonies included Kentucky. True or false? False. True. That's correct. You're right. Uh, the Uni- oh, yeah, it's my turn now. Mm-hmm.
3: The United States Constitution allows for laws to be made on subjects that did not even exist in 1787. True. Correct. You're true.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, we're halfway home. Um, you're down one. I'm sweating
3: over here. I can't stand this. <laughs>
0: Your state legislature has the same lawmaking scope as the U.S. Congress. True or false? False. That's right.
3: They don't have the same lawmaking abilities. You got
0: it. Am I right? Yes. (laughs) All right. All right. Go ahead.
3: The U.S. House of Representatives has nothing to do with the impeachment of a president. True or false? That's that's false. Yeah. False.
0: Okay. That was an amazing one. Yours, the Declaration of Independence was the nation's first constitution. True or False.
3: False.
0: Right. What was it? Uh, all right. We'll give you false. You know, articles of confederation. Uh, all right, my turn. Go ahead.
3: The Bill of Rights are the the so. Why do you get the easy ones?
0: These are all easy. But anyway, I, go well,
3: ahead. you get a really really easy one. The Bill of Rights are the first ten amendments to the Constitution. True or false?
0: True. Okay. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court justices are appointed by Congress. True or false?
3: It is false. The president appoints U.S. Supreme Court justices.
0: Uh, but the okay. Senate has to confirm them. But, Very good. Because those right.
3: hearings are off on that. Brett Kavanaugh one, I will never forget that as long as I live.
0: Must have been watching Schoolhouse Rock lately. Okay, go ahead.
3: <laughs> the Declaration of Independence came before the signing of the U.S. Constitution. True or false, Danproft? True. Correct. Yes.
0: Uh, states can make treaties with foreign countries.
3: Uh, Hold on. States can make treaties with foreign countries. No, they can't.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you answer it so you knew it was true or false? Did you answer it on the screen? No. Okay. All right. Just checking. We Just don't doesn't want cheating. Smell
3: right, if you know what I mean.
0: Uh huh. All right. Last one.
3: Federalism is the sharing of power by the federal government and state governments. True that, or false?
0: That's true. Correct. Uh, all right. So since I beat you by one, I guess I'm not the personality hire. Oh. I'm, a bit, I'm a bit crestfallen.
3: We did all of that to see who the personality hire was well, that's
0: I, We had to figure out some substantive way of doing it, some way to measure. <laughs> uh, all right. Alan in Northwest Indiana, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning, everybody.
15: I just thought it was funny that you guys have found like
16: the 1% of the people that actually have a – personality in the millennial class because most of the people i run into they can't even hardly carry a conversation you go to a store and you talk to them and you're like hey how's your day you get like one word if you're
15: lucky that's all i'd say
3: <laughs> well, it's, i mean they're glued right. to their phones and covid did not help sticking people you know kids in their basements or in their bedrooms for two and a half years
0: yeah neither do the government school systems david and winnetka
15: hey guys good morning thanks for having me on so I don't know if this exactly hits the subject, but this was when all the insanity started. I was driving for Uber down in the city. It was my morning route was always, you know, downtown, so, you know, in the crush. So this gal's in my car. She's a millennial. She just got her job, and this is at the time when all the millennials were complaining. I went to college. I can't get a job. You know, blah blah blah. So she was the one of the lucky ones. she had been to this place for about two weeks. when it was her manager calls her. And she's like, Sue, where are you? It's eight forty. You're supposed to be here at eight. You know, there's fifty people here. We can't start the presentation without you. And she's like, you know, I, I've been thinking about this. It's just not eight to nine or whatever, eight to five doesn't balance with my work life balance. Work life balance. I, that was the first time I ever heard something called a work life balance. So I'm listening to the conversation. And she's like, well, all right, we'll talk about that. But meanwhile, you, you know, get here. Well, where are you? you? You know, how far are you? And she's like, well, my daughter, we're 10 minutes away, but my daughter's going to have to stop at Preach to get me coffee because, you know, I just can't drink your coffee. And while well, I'm listening to this stuff, my head's about to explode. I'm in the far left lane on Lake, you know, Wacker. I muscle through all these cabs, and I was seeing it's sleeting, it's icing out. I pull over to the far right lane, and I go, "Get out!" I, I Jackie Gleason or like when you would kick Art Carney, <laughs> like,
0: "Get out! Get out of
15: my car!" What are you talking about? she refused to get out of the car and the cops had to come and literally extract her from my vehicle. So another 40 minutes goes by that she's not at work. It, it was just unbelievable. And, and one more quick thing. This, this is, this is definitely off the point, but I just got to share this because it was so how, much. how
0: that, how that I, impact your rate, driver rating by the way? Yeah. <laughs> Good one.
15: So uh, it went up actually. Um, so I was at my extended family's uh, for Thanksgiving and, you know, politics comes up and I'm like, Oh no, here we go. And they're all lefties. And so, my cousin she goes. She's, she's like, you're always telling us we're uninformed, we're uninformed. Well, what do you, you know, what's so special about you that you know everything and blah blah blah? I go. Well, I listen to Dan and Amy in the morning. You know, you should do that too. Oh, boy, and she man. goes. So we start going at it, and uh, she starts talking about Hamas and she's referring to Hamas as he, he. So finally, I said, I go, who is Hamas? What is Hamas? And she goes, oh, she goes, God, you're so stupid. He's a king. I go, oh, I go, oh king, king Hamas.
0: She goes, yes, king Hamas. King Hamas. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> my
15: God. People are going to the voting booth. Ah!
0: Um, good, good, good. All right, very good. Thanks and for so calling. Speaking
3: of that, like Cynthia Nixon, you know from Sex and the City. Oh, sure. The les- lesbian, she's she ran. On, she uh,
0: ran against Hansi Andy Cuomo.
3: Yeah, that's right. And she's on a forty-eight-hour hunger strike because she wants a ceasefire in in um, Gaza. It's like, oh, come honey, on. if you went there to visit, they would throw you off of a building because you're gay. Ugh.
0: I mean, uh, what you is forty-eight could...
3: hours? It's just a cleansing, anyway, right?
0: She can do at least um, 192 hours. Come on, she should she should not eat as long as the ceasefire is in in effect. So that would be what five days now. Uh, Mike, Northwest Indiana. I think the millennials
5: have discovered moonlighting. Uh, David Addison character is uh, the guy they're looking for.
0: The the personality hire.
5: Yeah. There you
0: go. There you go. Nice, nice, nice pop culture reference. Very good. Thanks for the call, Mike. Well, I guess we've established uh, today that Amy Jacobson was the personality hire here. So congratulations for that.
3: You know what? I'm going to own that. Now I'm going to say thank you,
0: Dan. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. You're listening to Chicago's Morning
1: Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560. The
0: Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, remember Jim Brewer from Saturday Night Live? Jim Brewer? Yeah, remember Jim Brewer? He was like Goat Boy, and he did. Uh, I think he had a pretty good Joe Pesci impersonation back in the day. This had to be '90s. You remember him? I'm looking no? up
3: now. I'm
0: sure you'll, you'll, you'll recognize him when you see him. He's a very physical. Uh,
3: oh yes, yes, comedian.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. very physical. Well, um, he's still doing stand-up, and apparently uh, Brewer is um, on the conservative side. Actually, I knew that, but it's uh, it'd been a while since I saw him. And uh, a clip from uh, a recent performance of his has been making the rounds because he he offers uh, commentary on Trump derangement syndrome, which is a still very real thing, as we know.
3: Oh, yeah.
14: Like, it's past.
0: It's past if you're divided
14: politically. Even you have. Admit, even if you're like, I don't care as long as it's not you know
6: who,
5: <laughs> that
14: was like a demonic, like the devil came out and just whoever like, we're gonna make people hate Donald Trump. Hate! Get him. I hate Donald Trump,
11: he's racist supremacist the insurrectionist they, the, they, they lynch people even
14: and I'm gonna blame you cause I saw the news channels I saw them saying he's racist, he's sexist you would just wake up to pee in the middle of the night he hates Mexicans and he. He says a rapist and he hates black people. He... What? They had remember the woman's march. We're gonna march. <laughs> I have a vagina. I have a vagina.
12: Oh, they knew what a
3: woman was then. Pretty that
0: good. That is. Perfect. Yeah, that was pretty good. Oh, my
3: gosh. You know his Trump derangement syndrome is Michelle Obama? Because I have to tell you, Dan, guess what? I don't think she's hot anymore. I have fallen out of love with her. Really? Did you see her at Rosalind Carter's funeral or the service that they had in Atlanta for her before her funeral yesterday?
0: I did not, no.
3: Oh, you got to check it. She is. <laughs> so she was... all the first ladies were there, all the living first ladies, and she... Was positioned next to Melania Trump, and oh, then well. she, so she said. So it was Melania <laughs> oh Michelle Obama. You got to check out this video. I mean, she was an ice princess, and she when she walked in behind Melania, she was giving her the stink eye. Like I've never seen any chick give a chick the stink eye before. It was so classless and disgusting that I don't think she's good looking anymore.
0: All right, okay, wow. And then Laura boy. Bush
3: was there, pleasant to everybody because that's you know. How a woman should act, especially in a situation when it's not about you, it's about Rosalind Carter who died, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a uh, uh, you got to. You have at any it. more
0: predictions about Jimmy Carter's demise? I know oh, you no. were you got Did him you in the him? Deadpool.
3: Well, he didn't look. T- well, he doesn't look good, but um, I shouldn't. Well, say that. You well, know what? I'm going to stop talking. Not
0: a, not a lot of ninety <laughs> nine year olds do, but I know. Yeah.
3: At least he's made it. He made it to the service and then to her funeral yesterday. So. Very might nice. be letting go after nice. all those years of marriage. All Sorry right, to thanks. hear
0: you've fallen out of love with Michelle.
3: Yeah, it's over. It's over.
1: You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The Answer.
0: Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank.